Well, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, this morning, we continue a series we started last week. Uh, this summer, we're going to be going through the Ten Commandments, uh, each week looking at uh, uh, a specific commandment. And it was very tempting today to do honor your father and mother, uh, but I, I really want to keep the second commandment and the first commandment together, so we'll come to that. But let me say happy Father's Day uh, to those of you so glad that you're with us, uh, worshiping with us today. And so uh, what we want to ask in this series is, as Christians, how are we to think about the Ten Commandments? This is such a, a familiar passage of Scripture, something that a lot of people know, but, but uh, as Christians who believe in the gospel, who recognize what Christ has done, how are we to think about these commandments? And so last week we looked at the first, and this morning we'll pick up here at the second, beginning at verse four. But I want to start our reading at verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 6. So if you are able in all of our locations to please stand, uh, let's do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Exodus 20, beginning at verse 1, says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, a likeness of anything that's in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is God's word. Would you please pray for me? Please pray for me and pray for our time together that God would speak to us. Let's do that. God, we bow and just ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Uh, These are your words. You have breathed them out. They come with life and transforming power. And so we ask that uh, Holy Spirit, you would guide us now and that this would not just be uh, an event of our day but that this would truly be a transforming moment as we enter your presence and experience your grace. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, Dave was quite the socialite in his uh, hometown of East Moline. Uh, You just never knew where Dave was going to show up. He would randomly appear at places all over town. He might show up at the pizza restaurant. He might show up at the grocery store. He might show up at the pub. You just never knew when Dave would appear. But what was strange is that every time Dave appeared, he wasn't actually there. Dave was actually 150 miles away living in Chicago where he had moved just a couple of years before to attend college. You say, how can this be? Well, Dave, when he moved away, troubled his mom, Alice. Alice didn't uh, know how to handle her son leaving home. He was, after all, the only of her four children to leave their hometown. This bothered her. This troubled her. And so she thought, if I can't have my real son, I'll recreate him. 
And so Alice took a digital photo of her 24-year-old son and made a life-size cutout of him. There he is right there on the right. Now Alice could take her son everywhere she went. And she did. Flat Dave, as he was nicknamed by his family, (laughs) went with Alice everywhere to the dentist office, to motorcycle shows, to graduation parties. Alice even kept a scrapbook of all the memories she was experiencing with her cardboard son. When real Dave, or as the family called him, 3D Dave, found out about this, he said, you know what? That's just really weird. (laughs) And indeed it is. When the Chicago Sun-Times heard of this story, they interviewed Alice and they asked her, I think, a very appropriate question. Why? (laughs) Why did you do this? Why did you go to this trouble? And here's what she said, quote, you know, Dave misses out on a lot of our family events. At least this way, he still gets to be there. Faith family, we let these people vote (laughs) and drive automobiles. Wow. Now, before we pick on Alice too much and and laugh at her craziness, uh, we, we need to keep in mind that we are more like her than we know. We probably wouldn't go to the extreme that she went to, uh, but her tendency is our tendency, namely, you and I will cling to images that represent things that are very important to us. That, that's not an uncommon thing at all. It's why it's not uncommon for somebody to kind of cling to a photograph that represents a very real relationship that's important to them. It's not uncommon for you to buy a souvenir as a way of remembering a very real time in your life, a vacation, a honeymoon that you don't want to forget. It's why it's not uncommon for somebody to keep trophies around to remember that real past, those those moments of amazing athletes of their glory days, right? They want to remember that. I bet you I can throw a football over those mountains, right? It's why, for instance, in China, where, where I visit frequently, uh, it's not uncommon to go into a home and you'll find a, a shelf with a statue that, that, that represents their ancestors. It's a way of honoring them. It's a way of, of respecting them, and in many cases, a way of worshiping them. Why? Why do we do this? Why is this a very common thing for us? Here's why, faith family, because when we can't have the real thing, or when we feel in some way distant from the real thing, we will create a substitute that's tangible. Every one of us does this in some way. And it's one thing when we do that with a family member. It's one thing when we do that with a vacation memory. But it is a sin when you do that with God. 
That is exactly what God is telling his people here in the second commandment. Look at it again in verse 4. He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, uh, any likeness of anything in heaven above, earth beneath, or the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, on the surface, this second commandment would seem to be very much like the first. Uh, You shall have no other gods before me. It's why our Catholic and Lutheran friends uh, will often see these two going together, but we believe they're separate, and here's why. They're addressing two different realities, two different things. The first commandment is forbidding the worship of false gods. Don't have any other gods but me. I demand exclusivity. The second commandment, however, forbids the false worship of the true God. That distinction is very important. Uh, I don't want you worshiping false gods, and I want you to worship me in the right way. Don't have any other gods before me. And when you worship me, worship me rightly. Now, this is a very important point because what it means is that you could actually worship the wrong thing, commandment one, or faith family, you could worship the right thing in the wrong way. And that's what God is dealing with. That's what he wants his people to understand. Remember the context. Uh, In verse 2, I brought you out out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. This covenant, this this, uh, ancient Near Eastern treaty-like contract between God and his people is happening off the heels of their rescue from Egypt. We, we showed you last week how in Egypt, uh, which was a very polytheistic nation, they had gods for everything, the river, medicine, even Pharaoh was seen as a god. And God addresses that. You're not going to have multiple gods. I am the one true and living God. But you also need to know this. In Egypt, with all of the plurality of gods, the Egyptians would have imaged those gods in a specific way. God's dealing with that in the second commandment. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, Horus, the protector God in Egypt, was symbolized as a hawk. And that's why it talks about the sky above. Uh, Sobek, the god of the Nile, was imaged as a crocodile, which is why you, you see the water below. Uh, Anubis, the, the god of the dead, was symbolized with a, a jackal. That's why you see the under the earth. God is simply speaking to Israel as they've come out of Egypt to say, no other gods but me, and you will not have images of me. You will not carve for yourself an image of me and therefore worship me in the wrong way. Why? Why? Is God not like his picture taken? Is he not very photogenic? Why why is God making such a big deal about carving and crafting these idols and images of him? Four quick reasons as to why we are not to do this. Number one is because when you make God into an image, you restrict God in some way. You restrict God. Every image falls short. So I'll give you an example. If you try to, 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 to craft some type of an image for God, say that of a lion, because man, you like to think of God as strong and powerful and, and he fights for you and he's courageous and you'd be true or false. 
It'd be true. God, God is courageous. God is victorious. God does fight for us. The problem is you would have restricted him because now you're not relating to God in his lamb-like qualities of gentle and approachable and loving. And so once you put an image of God, once you craft an image of God, you've restricted him in some way. Number two, you're not to make an image of God because when you do so, you will reduce him down. That is God who is not on your level. Can I get an amen? The God who's not on your level, you're trying to bring him down to your level when you craft the idol. Um, You're trying to make the God who's really big, small. The God who you can have a relationship with into something you can't have a relationship with. This is why Paul in Acts 17 says this. The God who made the world and everything in it. So he's talking about the, the majesty of God, how big God is, his sovereignty. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Do you know how big God is? Do you know how, how uh, uh, majestic God is? He created everything. He's huge. He's big. He's sovereign. Therefore, verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think of the divine being as like gold or silver or stone and, talk to me, image. image. Formed by the art and imagination of man. In other words, you can't reduce God down. He's the God of heaven and earth. Everything that is, is because of him. You cannot reduce him to something made with your hands. Number three, you are not to make God into an image because as soon as you do, you redefine him. God has revealed himself without form, and therefore when you put him into a form, you have changed him in some way. It's not him anymore. Think about it this way, okay? This is going to be so clear, okay? If God is not a thing, and you make him into a thing, then that thing is not a God because God is not a thing. See how clear that is? If God is not a thing and you make him into a thing, that thing is something, but it's not God because God's not a thing. And so if God reveals himself as formless and you put him into a form, then that thing can't represent God. I take this from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15. Watch yourselves very carefully. Why? Since you saw, talk to me. No form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb in the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure. Now, do, do you see what you, if God revealed himself as formless or without form, then don't make a form because as soon as you do, it's not him anymore. And here's the last reason why God gives this second commandment is because if you make God into an image, you will ultimately replace him. You will eventually fall in love with what your hands created. And you will love the created thing instead of the creator. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 18 says, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in what? His own creation. 
when he makes speechless idols. Faith family, everybody, listen, listen, you can't serve two masters. You just can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. Happens every time. And so if you carve for yourself this, this representation of God, this image of God, you not only are restricting him, you not only are reducing him, you not only are redefining him, you are replacing him. And God, therefore, says, don't do it. Now, how do you think Israel did with this second commandment? Yeah, in the words of the famous theologian Charles Barkley, terrible, all right, absolutely terrible, right? You got that. I mean, it's just, in fact, we were there last week in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, they not only in Exodus 32 break and violate the first commandment, they break and violate the second commandment. I, I trust that you remember it. It was just last week, right? When, when Moses is delayed on the mountain and, and uh, the people are like, well, we, we need gods. And they go to Aaron and they say, make us gods. And he says, okay, give me all your gold. And he takes all their gold and puts it into the fire and just miraculously, he will tell Moses, this golden calf just came. I don't know how it happened, Moses. It just, boom, came out of the fire. And, and, and these were the gods that brought us out of the land of Egypt. Notice what he says in verse 4 of Exodus 32. He received the gold in their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, plural, O Israel. And this is important, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Both commandments now, one and two, are being violated here. The first commandment is being violated and broken because it's a plurality. These are your gods, and you are to have no other gods before me, commandment number one. But notice that these are representations to them of the one who brought us out of Egypt. They're trying to represent the real God in the wrong way and therefore have violated now the second commandment. So here's you a visual. After two commandments, here is Israel trying their best to keep both of these commandments, right? It is swing and miss, swing and miss, strike out. In baseball terms, they are 0 for 2. And before we're hard on Israel here, uh, we, let, let's talk about ourselves, because it would be easy at this point to say, Pastor, I admit to you uh, that, that last week I have violated the first commandment. I, I have worshipped other things instead of God. I understand that. But I have never gone to my garage and, and, and built some type of idol or image. We don't have any shelf in our home that we have some representation of God or anything like that. And I would just say be very, very, very careful. Because all of us in some way have violated the second commandment. Let me give you four. The only reason I'm giving four is because they don't give me five hours to preach, okay? There is more than four, but here are four, I think, very common ways that you and I, certainly I, break the second commandment. And I'm going to spend most of the time on the first one because I, I think it is so important and, uh, and I see it all the time. Here it is. Uh, we violate, we break the second commandment when we base our view of God on imagination instead of revelation. 
Now, don't be thinking of somebody else here. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. Um, It goes like this. You know, I just can't believe in a God that would do that. I think God is like this. You know, my Jesus, fill in the blank. Here's what's going on when you say that. In fact, listen, this morning I'm here before you believing, I won't tell you what it is, but I believe in something now because I believe it's revealed in the word of God that early in college, I literally said I would never believe in a God who would do something like that. And yet here I am believing it because it's not about my imagination. It's about how he's revealed himself. Here's the point. You and I, follow me, you and I have an image of God that we have shaped not with our hands, but in our minds. We have, we have carved, we have crafted out a, a, an image of God, and he has to be that way. It is like that historic scene and that historic movie that will ever for, for, like, go down as, as monumental in the history of film, the movie Talladega Nights, right? You remember that? You remember that scene there at the table when Will Ferrell is praying to, to little infant baby Jesus? And they, they, they tell him to stop, and he says, wait, 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 I like the Christmas Jesus best when I say grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus, whoever you want. And then Cal jumps in and he says, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party. And I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. Do you see that? I like to party, so I like to think about Jesus uh, as somebody that will party. We do this all the time. There's a verse in Psalm 50 that says, for you thought God was altogether like you. And so you end up with Southern Jesus who drinks sweet tea and eats cornbread. And yet it's a good Jesus, I agree. You end up with a Republican Jesus. I'm going to get in trouble for this one. You end up with a hippie Jesus doing whatever hippie Jesus does, right? You end up with a sports Jesus who justifies your missing church for the Vikings game, all right? And we just kind of craft all these images of who we think God is. It's almost as though we think that at the Mall of America, there is a Build a God workshop, right? Anybody ever been to Build a Bear? You just think you can just kind of walk in to this buffet of attributes and pick out the kind of God you like. And so how many of you, uh, Lakeville, everybody, how many of you like to have a God of love? Anybody? Show of hands. Okay, we got to have some love here. How many of you like the idea that God is a gracious God? Anybody? Show of hands. Okay, we got to have some grace. Now, what about wrath? Oh, no, not at all. Who wants a God of wrath? I read that Old Testament and it's just kind of like, ugh. I don't, I'm not sure so much about that God. Uh, what about anybody need forgiveness this morning? Okay, let's get some forgiveness. This whole jealousy thing. I mean, I know I've read it twice, just in Exodus 20. I just don't, I I think Brad Pitt's right. I I just don't know this whole jealous God. So I'm going to skip that one. Who wants a sovereign God? Yeah, because you know, you're going to go through some difficulties in life and you want to be able to say God's in control. And what about justice? 
Yeah, we, we want a God who's fair and right and just. And so here we go. We've picked out the attributes that we like and the attributes that we don't like. And we'll just kind of in our own mind fashion our own God because that's what mama told us. And that's what the denomination we grow up in taught us. And that's kind of like what the culture values. And this is what I think would be important in God. And so there you go. Here's my Jesus. This is my Jesus. You can have whatever Jesus you want, but this is my Jesus. Because this is what I think God should be like. Listen to me, everybody, Lakeville, you don't get to determine who God is. It's not your call. Last I checked, you're created. You're not the creator. When God comes to Moses in Exodus 3 and Moses says, who are you? God's response is not, well, sweetheart, I'm whoever you want me to be. His response is what, faith family? I am who I am. My attributes are not up for your voting. I have revealed who I am, says the Lord. And if your mind has a problem with that, the problem's in your mind, not in God. It's why Exodus 20 equates this to hate. Look at the last phrase in verse 5. It says, the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. This may sting a little bit, but faith family, we need to hear this, okay? Keep this in mind. You ready? Notice it on the screen. If you don't love the real God, you don't love God. If you don't love the real God and all the ways that he has revealed himself, you don't love God. You know this, ladies, come on. You know you can't say, I love my man. He is 6'5 and lifts weights and drinks his coffee black and wears Wrangler jeans and his name is David. When in reality, your man is 5'11, leads worship, drinks mango smoothies, wears skinny jeans and his name Terry. I'm just hypothetically speaking, hypothetically speaking, okay? He's standing right behind me, isn't he? (laughs) Well, there he is. (laughs) Right, I mean, that's not the same person. He's somebody, but he ain't that, all right? I mean, you know you can't say that. You either got to love the real thing or you don't love anything when it comes to God. You either love the real thing or you don't love anything as it relates to who God is. Are you with me? I tell you this happens all the time in our minds. And it is a violation of the second commandment. So let me ask you, how often does God confuse, contradict you, or make you mad? Anybody? God confused you lately? God contradicted your life lately? Let me say this to you. We'll move on. If God never contradicts you, your God probably is you. If God never contradicts you, your God probably is you. After all... That's why you get along so well. 
because it's nothing more than an image of your own values projected on God. You shall not carve out an image. Number two, how we violate the second commandment. I'm not going to spend as much time on these last three, but we confuse, secondly, the expression of worship with the essence of worship. I'm just telling you, as a pastor, I see it all the time. It goes like this. I can only worship God if there's hymns. I can only worship God if there's a band on stage. I can only worship God if it's in this particular location, or I can only worship God if it's in this particular denomination. You need to be very, very careful, friend, that you do not reduce the focus of worship, which is God, to a form of worship, which is your preference, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting that the Bible doesn't give commandments about what should be in our worship. That's a very healthy conversation, and I'm not suggesting that that's not the case. I'm purely talking about those things that are preference, whereby you have confused the essence of why you're here with the expression of what you do when you're here. That is a direct violation of the second commandment. Number three, I believe we violate the second commandment when we walk by sight and not by faith. Now, why would I say that? Because what's the temptation behind crafting the idol? Why is Israel in Exodus 32 making this golden calf? Why is Alice uh, creating this cardboard cutout of of her son? The reason? We all want something we can see. We want something we can feel. We want something that we can touch. We want something that's tangible. Therefore, when we can't trust God without some type of physical, tangible sign, listen, we're not worshiping God the right way. Because Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. When you say, God, I can't move forward, God, I can't step out unless I've got some type of physical thing to hold on to, you are violating the second commandment. And lastly, is we violate the second commandment when we make salvation about our works instead of His work. Why? Because the work of our hands Uh, often is manifested in this way. Look at what I've done. Look at the life I've lived. Look at the good deeds that I've done. Look at how often I've been at church. Look at what I have crafted through my own life. That ought to be enough when I stand before God. That ought to be enough to get me out of Egypt. That ought to be enough to save. And what you have done, dear friend, when you say that is you have carved out for yourself an idol of your own making to save you. Salvation, hear me, all the way to Lakeville, hear me. Salvation is not based on our works. It is based on the finished work of Christ. It is not the work of our hands. It is through crucified hands that we are saved. And if we think anything other than that, 
we are violating the second commandment. So here's the flow thus far. Here's what the commandment means, why we are not to do this. Israel's 0 for 2, we're 0 for 2. We have violated the second commandment in in, in all different types of ways. So then, uh, how, how are we to think about this commandment in light of the gospel? How are we to think about what God has said in light of what Christ has done? Now, hang with me. We're gonna go really fast and give you a lot of stuff. Uh, But but I hope this will be a a transforming moment for you to see how we are to obey the second commandment. Now, everybody right here, think with me. Why does God forbid us making an image of Him? Why does God forbid that we make an image of Him? Answer, you ready? Because He's already given us an image of Him. Now, don't run too far ahead of me. We are not to make a created image of him in the world because he has already put a created image of him in the world. Genesis 1.26. Tell me this language doesn't sound very familiar. Then God said, let us make man, humanity, and talk to me, our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and on and on. In other words, I'm going to put my image in creation. I'm going to create and put my image on humanity to reflect me, to show the world what I'm like, to reveal my glory. The problem is in Genesis 3, sin comes into the picture and shatters the mirror, shatters the image, throws off the dance. God then says, I don't want you making any images because I'm going to send into the world my true image, the ultimate image of me in the person of, talk to me, Jesus Christ. John 14, 9, hang with me. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, stay with me. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Say this with me. Who is the image of God? Last one and probably the clearest, Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You with me so far? Man, God, speak to us here. Then what is the aim and the goal of the Christian life? What is Jesus doing in us through salvation, through a relationship with him? Watch. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the, say it loud, the image of his son. One more. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Don't lie to one another. 
seeing that you've put off the old self and its practices. He's talking about your salvation. You've put off the old self, verse 10. You've put on the new self, which is what? Being renewed in knowledge after, you're kidding, after the image of its creator. So if you've zoned out, zone back in right here. I have created humanity and put them in the garden and they will be the reflectors of my glory in the world. Sin enters in and shatters that image. It's there, but it's broken. So then God commands, don't make any images of me because I am sending an image into the world, namely my son, Jesus Christ. And do you know what he's going to do through salvation? Do you know what he's going to do through grace? He's going to restore my image in your life. Therefore, pastor, how do I obey the second commandment? How do I, as a Christian, obey the second commandment? And here's the answer. God help us. Don't make an image of God. Be the image of God. Don't, don't show the world what God is like by something you've made with your hands. Show the world what God is like by what Christ has done in your life. Don't you see? You're not to make an image because he's already put his image on you. He doesn't need you making reflectors of his glory in the world. That's what your life is for. And that only happens when you are united to Jesus Christ and his life begins to shine forth from yours. The true image of God, which is Jesus, lives his life out through us in, in our job situation. The, the people that we work with, the people we go to church with, the people that we're in a, a neighborhood with, they see glimpses of what God is like. So you want to obey the second commandment? That's a question. Do you want to obey the second commandment? Then here it is. Stop shaping God and let God shape you. Because you're his image bearer in Christ Jesus to reflect him in the world. Would you stop for just a moment and think about what that means in your life? You say, I'm not a perfect image bearer. I know. Because salvation isn't complete yet. But there will be a day when we are fully glorified, when Christ returns and everything is finally restored. But that doesn't give you an excuse to not be reflecting him now in some way in this life. What does that mean for you? Because until you understand that, you do not understand the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. I close with this. Suzanne was tired of the pressure. She'd heard it over and over and over again, and she was sick of it. 
she was getting older, she wasn't married, she didn't have a family, and people kept bringing up the topic time and time again, and she was about to just explode, and one day she did. Her mom, of all people, brought it up again. Why aren't you married? Why don't you have a family? Why don't you do something? And she just responded, Mom, it's not like I can just go buy a family. It's not like I can make it happen. And then it hit her. Maybe it could. And that's what she did. Suzanne went, and I know this is weird, but hang with me. I want you to see a point. Suzanne went and married a mannequin. Evidently, it was a perfect relationship. They had coffee in the morning together. They'd go dancing together. They started a family where they would then go on vacations together. And this went on, I'm not making this up, this went on for several years. And while there was, there was a bit of satire that Suzanne intended with all of this, she was trying to make a larger point. She said so. She said all of, the, all of these mannequins, creating these mannequins, was to try to express the way I approach my life. And here's what she said, quote, why conform to someone else's image when you can just create your own? Faith family, whether it is Alice creating a cardboard cutout of her son, whether it is Suzanne creating a family of mannequins, whether it is Israel forming gods at the foot of a mountain, Every single one of us wants to fashion with our hands what our heart wants most. Hear the word of the Lord today. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image. Stop creating counterfeit gods and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, be conformed to the one true and living God. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for how Jesus transforms the second commandment. Every one of us in this room has violated it in some way. Oh, sure, we may not craft a, an image with our hands, but we have crafted one with our minds. And we have projected our own values and, and what we think God is like, and, and that is worshiping you wrongly. And we confess today that we have sinned. We have violated that commandment. But we are grateful that though the law came with Moses, grace and truth comes with Jesus. And he transforms this through salvation. And so I pray that today... Uh, if there's anybody here that does not have a, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray that they would uh, turn from their sin and put their faith in the real thing. Not something that they've created, but the real God in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Others in this room, uh, God, maybe they've just seen through your word ways in which um, they've not been worshiping you rightly. And today they would just bow the knee and praise you for who you are. God, whatever the need is, I trust that your spirit will, will speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would.